0: respond to what I'm about to do you need to get ready and you need to get ready by looking at this and respond to what it is that I'm that God is asking you to do so here's what he's asking you to do okay you got it I really need you to respond to this okay all right uh just a second here okay I need you to I need you to do this I, I don't have a clicker okay I want you to do that I don't see anybody moving. Nobody seems, to be, nobody seems to be getting ready. Aren't you? What's the problem? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, let me add a little detail. Maybe that'll help. Okay, here's, here's, here's what this will help. Go to a place you've never heard of to go do something that you don't have any idea about on a specific day and moment, a moment that you have no idea is even coming. Does that make it more clear? Is it, is it really clear right now what God is asking us to do? Okay? I mean, it's silly. It's silly. And yet, you have to understand something, and we all do, but you have to understand something. That's Christianity. That really is what Christianity is, right there. You don't know what's coming. He does. And he's getting you ready for it. And you don't know, (laughs) but he is. And you've got to be doing something, and let me just put it this way. The way that he's going to help you do this is so simple. When, you, when, I, when I say, you're going to go, well, of course. You probably already even know it. But here's the thing that I want to say, and this is the thing that I think God is trying to add to our common understanding, and that is something like this. If we embrace the moments that he's bringing to us that are getting us prepared, Watch. Then when we have the moment that he's preparing us for, and this is true now, even in sovereignty, something will happen that wouldn't have otherwise happened. If you let him prepare you, not even knowing what's coming, when, how, what, anything, but if you are engaged in the actual walk with God and the Holy Spirit, you will be ready When this thing comes and your response, you might not even know it's a moment, but your response will be a response that will cause something to happen that I'm telling you, it would not have happened otherwise. God can still have his way without that thing happening, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we were actually in the moment, when the moment was happening, totally equipped and prepared so that we actually step up and do everything that he wants us to do? Wouldn't that be incredible than having to do what happens all the time, which is look back and go, oh, (laughs) well, if I had, and God still got his way some other way, but there's still something that never is going to happen because we weren't there. Now, I'm not trying to bring any kind of guilt or anything when I say this. What I'm trying to say is there is something extraordinary which God is trying to do, and this is, This is the real thing about today. The the actual message to answer the question I just asked is only going to take us less than half the sermon. And then God has me, I believe, to say something which we've actually been talking about for quite some time. Threads that have been coming up for years. And I'm just going to show you a way that I think God is trying to weave together a bunch of moments that he's been doing for a particular purpose which I don't know that even to this moment that we see, and not only do we not see it, but I think the vast majority of people in here are resistant to it. When they hear about it, when you hear about it, when you think about it, you say, I'm out instantly. And what God is trying to do is the other way around. He's trying to get us prepared to do something that is extraordinary and that won't happen if we don't do it. So this is an important sermon. This is a prophetic sermon. So I think they all are, but this is of a, a particular importance for us. So the person who is speaking is Travis, who is praying is Travis. This is phenomenal, Travis. I'm so excited that they picked you. This is, this is just incredible. I, I, I can't go into your whole story, but I just want to say get to know this guy. This is, you are wonderful. I'm so excited that you're praying for this. So pray for it, would you? Lift up another church too. Okay. All right, Father in heaven. We come to you and we pray that first that you would just bless Kurt and you would fill him with your spirit. And that you would uh, let the words that come forth from him that, that you've given him work in us, the desires that you were working on us individually, that your will would be done in our lives. And that you would just continue to bless this church and lead it in your will. And for another church, I pray for an overlay Christian. I just ask that you Amen. Can revive that church, get it on fire again, and help it to continue to be a blessing to those in its community in the light shining. Lord, we just thank you for uh, also all, all the mercy and grace you've shown to us through Jesus Christ, Father. In Amen. the name of Jesus, we pray to you. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. I don't even want to do the sermon anymore. I just want to talk about your story. <laughs> I'm not going to do that because, you know, I should have asked your permission before I did that, but but, but wow. Yeah. No, no. You, oh, that's, that's awesome. Thank you, God. All right. So, all right. So remember, and I need you to think about this because this is what's been happening. And I've been showing this over, God's been showing us over and over and over this is what's happening. And that is, you know, we have a lot of people from the congregation who will preach. We'll bring a few people in from outside too. But the bottom line is, is every week, no matter who it is that's preaching, is another week that's building on the last week. Now some of that would happen because some of the sermons are me. And some of that would happen because of Luke. We're going through Luke. So yes, they're building on each other. And what we're doing is we're going through Luke and looking at how God and the Holy Spirit discipled the disciples so as to get them where he did. And then we're saying, he's doing the very same thing in us right now. So he's trying to train us up in the same way that he did them, if we will but embrace the process. If we'll get that there are moments that are happening and enter into them so that God can train us, if we'll respond to what he's trying to do with us, right? Right? So some of that's going to happen because of those two things. But this goes way, 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 way beyond that. And you're going to see that when I get to talk about Becca Joe's sermon from last week in a little bit. But let me just bring you back to a couple that I did before that. And that was the one we are now, we are on the 11th day of the month where Jesus is going to die, be betrayed on the 14th, and he's going to die on the 15th. Okay, so this is, this is how close to the crucifixion we are. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He is, he is in the temple. The religious leaders have come and said, by whose authority do you do this? He answered that question. And then, trying to discredit him, they ask him a trick question to which there appears to be no answer that doesn't get Jesus in trouble. And that is, should we pay taxes? And his answer is, miraculous. Miraculous. Because if he says yes, then the people leave him because they don't want to pay taxes to the hated Roman oppressors. And if he says no, then the Romans arrest him and he's no longer a factor. But he answers the question in a way that takes everybody to an entirely different place as we looked at in that sermon. Then the next week come the other faction in the temple hierarchy, and that's the Sadducees. That was the Pharisees. Now the Sadducees come, and they don't believe in the afterlife, and so they say, look at how stupid this is. See, the law says that if a, if a woman is married, doesn't have a child, and the brother, and the, uh, somebody dies, the brother has to marry the woman. So this happens seven times. So this woman's going to go to heaven and be what? Seven people's wife? So it's just silly what you think. And again, Jesus answers in a way that just absolutely shuts them down, in fact, to this degree. Well said, teacher, Remarks some of the teachers of the religious law who were standing there. Now, my guess is these weren't the Sadducees. Pharisees were standing there too, and my guess is it was the Pharisees that were saying, we believe in the afterlife, and you just answered in a way that shows us there is an afterlife, so well said. But now watch what happens here next. Having now confronted the Pharisees and the Sadducees, No one dared him ask any more questions. (laughs) Everybody's like, we keep trying to trick you in order to undermine you, and your answers keep supporting you, keep elevating you. So we're not going to ask any more questions because we're in trouble, and then the cool thing happens. Jesus turns around and asks them a question. Now, note, what they're trying to do is trap him because they have an agenda and they're trying to trick him. But notice something. Jesus also has an agenda, but it's not to trap or to trick is to get them to think about something that's happening right now. In order to understand what's going to happen in these next few minutes, you have to stop being a Christian that knows all these things that you already know about Jesus and the story. You have to go back and put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's experiencing this answer right now. Because Jesus is going to say something that doesn't make any sense but if you think about it, if you ponder it, if you pray about it, if you press into it, it'll bring in a revelation. It'll bring an aha. It'll go, oh my gosh, look what he's really saying. So here's how it goes. Why is it, he asked, that the Messiah said to be the son of David? For David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Since David called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? Now, I'm going to break this into two different questions, and there's a little, there's even inside of that. But why is it the Messiah is said to be the son of David? Now, this is the minor point that's being made, but it's not unimportant. And I just want you, let's just stop it right there. You don't know the rest of the question. But why is Jesus calling attention to this? Just tell me on the most surface level, why is Jesus asking this question? That David is the the Messiah has to be the son of David. Why is he asking that? Somebody. Have a, well, usually everybody's awake at this point. It's later that you fall asleep. It, it is, it is, but I want you to go even more simple. Because what you're saying is deeper. Look, who's asking the question? Jesus, who is what? The descendant of David. That's being discussed and referenced here. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah, and everybody standing there knows that. This is, everybody, all the religious leaders know that he's of the tribe of Judah. And it's not like DNA and me in that day and age, where you have to go back and get a a test and give them some saliva or whatever in order to discover who your ancestors were. In the Jewish nation, people kept their records of their genealogies. This was not a hard thing to check. This was not a hard thing to find out. Jesus was born of parents who were direct descendants of this Davidic line. So the first minor thing that he's doing by calling calling attention to this is he's saying, who's standing in front of you? (laughs) Because the first answer is a descendant of David. (laughs) Do you see it? So think about it. Think about that. Process this. Don't just slide over it. What we're talking about in this whole sermon is there are moments that are happening that you can just skip right past and never know they happened. But if you'll let the Holy Spirit quicken, if you'll actually think about what's being asked, if you'll actually enter into the moment, the Holy Spirit will start saying something. And they, the first thing they would have said was, is, all right, well, this is a descendant of David. But then it gets to the good stuff. Oh, by the way, the way that it gets to the good stuff, you remember there's been a theme that we've been doing throughout all of these sermons since, I I think it's almost the fall. But all of these sermons, there's been this thing that God's been doing over and over and over, and that is showing us what Scripture really is. Jesus answers from Scripture, He doesn't answer from some logic, He doesn't answer from some other way of man's wisdom. He goes back to Scripture, and the reason why this is so important is because I think our world, and we've been talking about this for weeks, so this doesn't come out of any conversations I've had recently with anybody, even though I've been saying it to people a lot. And that is this. Scripture is that thing that's in the world that God has given us that is important, that is critical, as critical as Jesus himself is. Scripture is not something which you can kind of take and leave and have some of and not some of. Scripture is inspired by God, which is to say, God, breathed. As God said, let there be light, and that word breathed out of him, and then there was light, that's what Scripture is. It's a living word. God breathed and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. So I want us to see that over and over as Jesus is at the very end of his ministry and he's trying to show us disciples how to act, it's get it from Scripture. Make sure it's lining up with Scripture. Because what he says going to Scripture is, David himself wrote in the book of Psalms, Psalm 110, verse 1. You can look it up, but please don't right now. The Lord said to my Lord. Now the word here in the Greek is Kyros. It doesn't matter, but it's both times, Kyrgios. In the Hebrew, it actually goes from Yahweh to Adonai, And, and Yahweh is a word that is clearly only God, ever. Adonai is a word which is over half the time it's used, it's referring to God. The other half the time, it could be referring to like a slave to a master, but it has that connotation. You don't call your boss Lord. You call your master Lord, okay? That's the terminology, but here's the problem. Is that how Jesus is using this term? And now understand something, and watch this. Jesus always allows for some ambiguity. He always has you to have to make a choice. But what I want you to see in this is, the way that he's saying this is, the Lord, who is he referring to right there? There can be no mistake, there's no argument about this one whatsoever. Who is he referring to right there? Yahweh. Yahweh, right? God. The God who revealed himself in the burning bush to Moses. Yahweh. Yahweh. But then he says, the Lord said to my Lord, tell me an instance where a king has a descendant and calls the descendant my Lord. You can, the only one you can come up with, I think, even is just a casually where like the two kings would see each other and they'd say, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, something like that. You see what I mean? But this isn't what he's saying at all. He's saying, God said to my master. That's the least you can say about it. God said to my master. Tell me a time when a king has ever said that about one of his descendants. Because kings don't take to that. (laughs) You know, if he was like a peasant and then he had a king, he might call him his master at some point in time, right? But you don't do that when you were king too. It just doesn't happen. And so Jesus is telling people, see, understand something. Jewish people have looked at the scripture and tried to explain it. And I've looked at their explanations for what it is. And when you look at them, what you you find is, I don't know. No, that's not true. That's not what you find. Here's what you find. You find, I don't know first, and then what comes second is, so I'm not going to pay any attention to it. I'm just going to hold on to one part of it. Here's the part you have to understand. In Jesus' day and age, the Messiah was not thought to be divine. The Messiah was simply a descendant of David who was anointed. That's what Messiah means, anointed. Who was anointed to deliver people from their captors. So the Jewish people thought of Messiah as a human being and not divine. Period. Period. In order to do that, however, as we're seeing right here in Psalm 110, and we could do it over and over and over and over and over, you have to leave out major things that are being said. You can't explain them, so they just skip over them. I'm I'm really not kidding you. Do the research. You'll see it. Because what's actually happening right here, the Lord said to my Lord, and the way that he's referring to him So how can David call the Messiah Lord when he's his son? And there's only one answer. The Lord to whom David is referring is not just David's descendant. He's also David's God. Let me paraphrase. God said to my God, personal God, Jesus, the one who saved me, the one who's God said to my God. See? Now, you can't come up with another explanation of this. And I'm telling you, you can't, because thousands of years before Jesus and after, people have not. I literally did a bunch of research on saying, how did people think of Jesus in the Jewish time on this? And and they they pointed out, well, he had to be a human being, and he had to be uh, a deliverer of Romans. And so they thought about 100 years after Jesus, the guy that did Masada. They thought he's the Messiah right up until he lost and then he wasn't the Messiah just because he hadn't overcome the Romans, so he clearly couldn't have been anointed by God. Do you see the circular reasoning there? But here's what's not given. Any chance that this might be some other explanation as in what the Christians say, which is that he's divine. And they'll specifically say there, we reject the claim that Jesus is that the Messiah is divine. But here's the point. That's exactly what Jesus is pointing out. Psalm 110 says. And he could have picked 50 different scriptures in the Old Testament that did the same thing. And here's what he's trying to say and why this one's so good. Because here's what he's saying. If you'd have thought about what was being asked you right now, if you'd have really worked on this, if you'd have really worked on what the answer to this is, you would have seen extraordinary things like not only is the Messiah David's descendant, meaning he has to be human? But the way that he's discussed has to be divine. So this Messiah has to be human and divine. Now that's Jesus' narrative. That's what he's trying to point out. That's what he's trying to get people to see. Do you see it? If they had done this, if they'd have pressed into this, what would have happened? Remember, this is our theme. What would have happened differently? Think about this for a second. How important is it to recognize moments? Might the leaders have realized who it was that was standing right in front of them? At least one of them. At least one of the people that was sitting there and went, I'm not just going to reject this out of hand. That is a tough scripture. We've never really explained it very well. What does it mean? Well, here's a guy who's making claims about God and his relationship with God, and he's doing other things and so on. And oh my gosh, wouldn't would, if one of them had taken the question seriously, wouldn't at least one of them have thought about this and worked with this and been humble in front of it, so that at some point in time the Holy Spirit could take and touch their understanding? So all of a sudden they went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh oh my gosh, right, revelation, oh my gosh. And if that guy had done that, at the very least might it have caused enough doubt and dispute inside of the religious leaders that instead of plotting to kill him as they did with one mind, there would have been some division inside of them where they were saying, this might be God. (laughs) You definitely don't want to be in the business of killing God, (laughs) right? And they could have got there. Do you you see it? If they'd have got the moment, they could have got there. But it wasn't just the religious leaders that missed the moment. How about the crowd? You do realize that a couple of days after this, not, not necessarily the same exact crowd, but certainly some of the people in the crowd with Jesus right now are going to be in the crowd where Pilate comes up and says, Hey, I can release Jesus, or I can release Barabbas. And the people will say, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Crucify him. If there had been somebody in the crowd that had really been paying attention to the question and caught the moment to where they got the revelation, don't you think that when people were saying crucify him, somebody could have been yelling out, at least a couple of people could have been yelling out, no, wait. (laughs) Big mistake. There's something about him. Different. Let's let's start making this real personal. Even the disciples didn't get this moment. It was only later when they went back and the Holy Spirit brought it back to them what he had said that they got it. Because do remember that what happens is when he gets arrested, they all run away. (laughs) Right? So let me just ask you really quick. Do you want to be in the camp that runs away? Why didn't somebody sit there and go, you know, not somebody. Why didn't Peter? Because Peter's the one, you remember, that said, who do people say that I am? You're Christ, son of the living God. Why wasn't it Peter that when Jesus gets arrested and he does this, you, you know that Peter's like, really, what's going on here? I thought he was Christ, son of the living God, and now he's arrested. What's happening here? But what does Peter do? Now, this brings it right home to how important it is to us personally. Might Peter, might you, have been spared one of the most painful moments of your life. Peter's denial of him three times and your denial of him in other ways where you could have stepped up for him but you weren't prepped for it because the Holy Spirit hadn't been leading you. You hadn't been receiving it. You hadn't been being prepped so that when that moment come, John Lennon, paraphrasing earlier quotes, said, life is what happens when you're busy planning on doing something else. We have got to get to the place to where Life is not about the something else. It's about what the Holy Spirit's doing right now, whether you have any understanding of what's coming or not. Sometimes you will. I'm about to show you a place where we can. But most of the time, you don't have any idea about any of it. Which makes us incredibly dependent upon what? The Holy Spirit. This is Becca Joe's sermon. Last week, I want you to see how God is building line upon line and precept upon precept every single week. I didn't tell her what to say. I had nothing to do with what she had to say. I had no idea how it might fit, even after I heard it, until this week when I saw what God was doing, and all of a sudden I went, oh my gosh, look at the fit. More deeply, is it possible that when you actually recognize the moments that it takes you to a different place? Where God can use you in all sorts of ways you would not have otherwise known. Is that possible? Is it? Well, if it's possible, it'd be nice that we would fulfill that possibility at least some of the time. And hopefully more and more and more and more. So that things can happen that would not have otherwise happened. God would have still gotten the salvation of mankind through and so on. But just follow me here. What would happen if we actually caught every moment that was coming across our life? Much more deeply, how can you possibly do that? There's only one way. What she taught us last week. She was saying, you've got to trust God. And then she was showing how hard it is to actually trust God. (laughs) We don't really trust God. We think we do and we like to say we do until the rubber meets the road. Give me all your money. And then we don't trust God. We come up with other reasons why that can't possibly be God. It's true. It's real. We talk about it all the time. And the bottom line is there's only one way you're ever going to get there, and that is to let the Holy Spirit lead you in every single second because then he'll prepare you no matter where, no matter what, no matter when. It's the only chance you've got. And just think about the life where you're actually getting it. Where you're actually catching these moments and being prepared and being ready. And being—and again, what I want to say is do not let Satan whisper in your ear what a schmuck you are for not having caught earlier moments. This is not making you feel guilty. This sermon is about giving you the possibility of what it is that God can do. And to get you excited about that he's wanting to do this and to get you to trust him like he taught you last week. Trust me, it's going to work out better than you've ever imagined. Stuff you couldn't even have had in your mind. Right? So with all of that, that's the sermon, so to speak. But I want to show you how it plays in this church at this moment one way. Just one of the ways. Watch this. How the Holy Spirit has been getting us ready line upon line. Now, you're going to see a little chart here, and on the left-hand side is going to be when God started bringing this to us. On the right-hand side, you're going to see what he's been bringing to us. When he started bringing this, this is from the very beginning. At the very beginning, we determined that this church was going to be about one with God and one another that the world should know. That is Jesus' last prayer. I pray that they all may be one, just as you are one, as you and me, Father, and I'm in you. They may be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. We said that that was the thing that Jesus prayed last, so that's the thing we probably ought to be doing. So that's what we're about and everything that we do is that. You see it right there. One with God and one with the world we know. We had love God, love others, change the world, but you can see it's the same thing. See it? That's what we're about. But now watch this. Something has happened in our culture, as I've been saying now for a couple of years. We think that politics created division. Now, I just used the word politics, and here's what i got to do right now. As soon as I use the word politics, a whole lot of people are going to shut down. (laughs) I don't want to get involved in politics. I don't care about politics. Every time I put my finger in there, it gets bit off, and I'm not going to do this anymore. So I'm not going to pay any more attention. I want you to understand something. I'm not talking about politics. Politics is the thing where God started this division. And it still is a place where it's happening massively. But that is only the place that he started it. There's actually a much, 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 much more fundamental division that God is doing. Wait a minute. God's the one that makes us one. How could he possibly divide us? Well, he tells us that one of the ways that he makes us more one is by dividing us. There must also be factions, divisions amongst you, so that you, are, so that you who are approved may become evident, so that who is approved may become evident among you. Now, let me quickly say something. This is not so that God can prove that conservatives are right or that God can prove liberals are right. Here's what's being said so that God can show who's after the things of God. Because what's God after? That you be one. Now God has brought division. So what's the godly person going to be doing in the midst of division? They're gonna be pursuing oneness with the very people that they're different than. Here's what's actually happening in the Christian body right now. It's what happens in the world. Everybody's retreating into their own echo chamber. I don't wanna talk about politics. Don't you talk to me about politics. I'm just going to believe what I believe. I'm going to watch the shows that I watch. and I'm going to do the things that I do. And I'm going to be comfortable over here with my like kind. Because I don't want to do all that other stuff because it just, you know, it's just crazy what's happening. And it really is crazy. I want to say something to you real quick. Julie and I just got done watching Vietnam series on PBS. And let me say, first of all, you get a medal for that because it's 20 plus hours of programming and it's a slog. Okay? It's as long as the war itself. Okay? <laughs> but boy, if you grew up during that time, I'm highly recommending that you take the time to watch it because it is revelatory in ways that are striking even now with what we thought we knew. It brings out even stuff that we didn't. It's unbelievable. But, but I just want to say something. That was the most divisive time that I've known in my lifetime, and that includes this one now. This one is not as big as that. At that point in time, there was the anti and pro-war people. People thought we needed to come against communism. and People thought we shouldn't be over there. But there was also the civil rights going on at the same time. There was also a complete change in music and how where it was going. There was the influence, the, the inundation of drugs. There was free love. The, the ways in which society went. Every single dimension, every single thing just splintered apart. And it was unbelievable the the depths of division that there were. But I want you to see something about that division. We did get to the other side of it. Despite how divided people were, to the point of people getting shot, to the point of families being torn apart, there is now a pretty common understanding of what was going on back then. There is still a lot of division about what it all meant and so on, based on largely whether or not you know God and have a sense of some morality and so on or not. So there still is large, large pl- pathways of this that are happening. But the bottom line is, we are going through the second biggest division that I've ever seen in my lifetime right now. And again, I'm telling you, this is, if you think about it in terms of politics, you will avoid it and you will avoid it and miss God. The thing that's going on right now is that God is causing people to be divided because he's trying to find out who wants to be one. Who wants to do the hard work? Who wants to do the risk? Who wants to do what it takes? To come to be one with somebody who you're different than. And here's what we clearly do not mean by that. Everybody becoming alike. In fact, it's to the contrary, so let me show you how God's doing that. In 2016, at the beginning, he started bringing us this righteous mind book about planks. And planks are how we are all so different, understanding that leads to a symphony. Here's what planks are, real simple. Six planks, okay? And what happens is is the thickness or thinness of every single plank is different in every single person. Every single person is different in how thick or thin their particular planks of each six of these are. And what happens is, as soon as you hear something, before you can ever think about it, understanding comes into your mind, and it goes down into your heart, and it hits the planks, and if the plank is wide, it bounces more up. If the plank is narrow, it passes through and doesn't ever get to intellect. But the stuff that you care about, that's important to you, bounces back up into the mind, where you then think about it. But now watch this. See, this comes from righteous mind. I still wanna say, this should be required reading for every single person in any country, ever, anywhere. And this is not just about Americans. This was done all over the world, where they found these six planks in every culture in every place. Okay, But here's what it is. The six planks are care, harm, liberty and oppression, fairness and cheating, loyalty and betrayal, authority and subversion, sanctity and degradation. When I'm reading through that list, some of just just saying those words, some of them will strike people one way and others another. And let me give you an example. When when I test myself, I'm pretty thin on authority. When When I hear the word authority, I don't want to come under anybody's authority. That balances, I say I'm thin, I guess I'm, th- well, I don't know what I am, but what it does is, is I don't like it. <laughs> see what I mean? So I have a reaction to it, and very rarely is it to submit. There's other people that when you hear authority, it's the most natural thing in the world to you. It feels good. But when you hear sanctity or fairness or whatever, that has a different weight. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the, here's the image that we had on this. I'm doing this really quick because this was super important and it's going to be super important in the months to come because of what God's doing here. But watch this. What we think is, we think I'm the one that's riding the elephant and I'm telling it where to go. But what the metaphor is showing us is the elephant is actually going wherever it wants. It's the immediate reaction that is before intellect and reasoning. And then what happens is, in the analogy, is that the, and it's not true because the writer can't tell the elephant where to go in this, in a real situation, but the reason why they do this is because what, what, what they're saying the brain does is this the brain says, I'm going a certain way, and here's why, as if I meant to do it all along. It comes up with a rationality for what you want, for what you feel, for what reflected back up with you. You rationalize where you're going. But you're not in control of it. That happened beforehand. And I just said something. You're not in control of it. As a Christian, you have to understand something. You're always in control. But you have to understand something else too. God made each person differently. And we make a massive mistake when we disagree with somebody whom God has made that way. Because usually he made them that way in order to bring something to you which you're rejecting because they're not like you. Watch. This is what a liberal profile looks like in general. All liberals do not look like this. Every liberal is as varied as anybody else. Okay? But a liberal profile looks like this. Care and harm is very thick, heavy. Liberty is very thick. Fairness is very thick. Loyalty, authority, sanctity, not so thick. Now, there's been a terrible misunderstanding that I fought against the entire time I was preaching it. But still... This last week, I had two people bring it up to me and say, oh yeah, but you said the conservatives were better because they were balanced. I did not say that. Neither did the author say that. And I'm specifically right now saying against that yet again. Conservatives are more balanced, quote unquote, but that does not make them better. It just makes them who they are. There's something unique. The goal is not to be balanced. The goal is to be thick in every plank. See it? So what? A conservative, yeah, they're more balanced, quote unquote. But here's the deal, as I've been saying. God made each person with a unique set of fingerprints. He also made each person with a unique set of planks. And what he's trying to do is not to get you, who is planked a certain way, to change to some other plank that is, quote unquote, more balanced. What he's trying to do is say, use your strengths and recognize your weaknesses. And then bring in other people with those strengths. What we're doing with people that are not like us is we're pushing them away because we go to our echo chamber because it's more, because it's, because right now the division is such that you're going to get your hand bit off if you stick it in there. See that? But that's the thing that God is trying to get us to not do. He's saying, I want your hand in there. I want your whole body in there. I want you in there and I want you to understand something. As much as you think you're right, you are and you are not. And there are other people who are bringing other things that you absolutely must have. One is not better than another. Instead, we all have strengths and weaknesses. So the goal is the only way that we begin strong in everything, the only way that we can look like God is if every single plank that God made us with is as thick as his are and all of them are infinitely thick. (laughs) He cares about all of them. And if you're thin in one, you need somebody who's thick in one. You need to be bringing them in. And this is, now watch, I've been saying this thing that God has been bringing to this body over years. Marriage. What do we always say marriage is? Learning how to love an other. What does that mean? It means that when you first get together with somebody, the nature of that love has an awful lot to do with sameness. Yes, you recognize that there's some differences, but what makes you feel like you can be comfortable with them, real with them, yourself with them, is how much alike you are. And you are. There are fundamental things that, that make you alike and attracted to one another. But what did we learn about that? What do you learn in marriage? This I'm crediting Phyllis, who's here today, for this, because she's the one that taught me this. You have to fall out of love with the person that you felt it, you have to fall out of love with the the person that you thought you married, so that you can fall in love with the person you actually did. You have to do that. Why? You go from a superficial love of sameness to all of a sudden you realize that that person, yeah, they may be the same on these things, but they got a problem. That's how we first think of their difference. They have a problem, and I need to fix their problem. I'm gonna be an instrument of healing for them. And then we go to inflicting all kinds of harm on somebody that God made to bless you and you don't see it. But if you hang in there long enough and if you work it hard enough and if you stay humble enough, what will happen is over time, God will finally start showing you that the very thing that you were trying to change is something that you're not and that you need. You need it. Understand, marriage is a type for the things of God. And here's the thing about God. When you first come to love God, you think he's a lot like you and he gets you. And then at some point in time, you discover how much more than you he is. (laughs) And at that moment in time, you have to start understanding how badly you need him. Everything that he is. And what happens in a marriage is you come to love what that other person is that you are not and are never going to be. You have to come to an end of what you think you are, which is everything. (laughs) You have to realize you are but a part of the whole. And God has brought you somebody to make you more whole to make you more complete, to make you more in every way. And that's real oneness. Not one of same, which is only as large as where you're the same. But when you're all of a sudden one in difference, oh my gosh, you're just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, aren't you? Do You see it? So God has been bringing us this thread for years. And then what he did was, On August 2016, Eric Lee preached a sermon in here, which is one of my favorite sermons that's ever been preached in here. And the first one had to do with him saying, who is the body of Lake Sam? And the second one that he did in August was, he said, this is who we are. And when I saw that word picture, I cried because I couldn't have been more proud. I couldn't have been more, this is what I want to be, supportive, family, loving, growing, real, All of these things. And I love the size, the relative size of them, because that's how much people, you know, the bigger the word, the more people mentioned it. See what I mean? And I I just cried about that. But think about that. That was August 2016. What happened in November of 2016? We had an election. And all of a sudden, this freight train came right through the center of everything. Everything. And all of a sudden, there was all kinds of division. And the thing that we still haven't properly processed is much of that division, much of that division had nothing to do with politics. It had to do with that we were in still the first stages of a marriage where we were like, where we thought we were alike, and that's why we loved one another. And what God was doing was showing us we're not alike at all. We're alike in some things, praise God, but there are other things that we are not alike Him at all. And so what He went after was, You have to, what he's going after right now is he's saying, you have to go after the people that are not like you. You have to find a way to do that. Now understand, this happened in 2016, and thanks Eric for it, and I want to say something. At the minute that he said that, a few months later, it was no longer true. This word picture would not have come about. It would have been a totally different word picture, and you would not have wanted to see it. And at that moment in time, the master was full of praise, said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'm going to give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. He wasn't harming us. He was just trying to take us deeper. He was saying the oneness that you have in your sameness is wonderful and beautiful and incredible. And now let me show you something better. Having done what you did, let me take you deeper. And that brought about one weekend. Real quick, this is the one that we went to last week when Becca Joes preached. I want you to understand the evolution of what God did. I want you to show what it looks like when you're led by the Holy Spirit. And And I don't want to pat us on the back as a staff, but here's what happened. In the spring when we were planning for the fall, we said, let's do a marriage retreat. We haven't gone to Whistler in a few years. We haven't even done a marriage retreat. We've been doing these marriage desserts. Let's do a marriage retreat. And we thought, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do it. But almost immediately after making that decision, we started going, it's not a marriage retreat. That's not what God wants. And so we found out that cornucopia was happening up in Whistler, and we said, you know what? Let's not do, let's not do a, a marriage thing. Let's just do a, we don't know what, but, and we got to have some reason to go there. But really, it's just going to be a fun weekend. Let's just go have a fun weekend. That was really what we had in mind. And we had that in mind for, you know, a month, month and a half, two months. But even then, we were going, that's not it. There's got to be a through line. There's got to be something that God wants us to do up there besides just enjoy each other. And then we had a division happening inside of not just the staff, but there were two people that were working very closely together on something, and they just couldn't help but rub each other the wrong way all the time. It was just not going well. Amy Iwasaki was doing some research on what happens when people are communicating that disagree with one another. And what happens is, this research points out, is the way that we automatically, like planks, but not planks, but like planks, that we automatically form biases before we even think about it. And from our biases, we start climbing up a ladder of making assumptions, and before, we've even, before there's even been a thought in our head about the disagreement we have with somebody, we've already co- reached conclusions about who that person is. And when you've reached a conclusion about somebody, who somebody is before they've even opened their mouth, what happens? Not very good communication, right? (laughs) When you've already concluded who they are, you only hear them through your own filter of who you think they are. You can't hear what they might be saying that might be God trying to talk to you. So what Amy did in this thing was, she said, be aware of these things. Just like with planks, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to become aware of where your biases are coming from so that you can undermine them. So that you can understand that you are like that. And so that you can start calling yourself on it. And realizing, I need to be careful of this. I need to understand that God made people a different way to help me. Not everything they are is good. You're not supposed to be everything that they are. They're not perfect. They're not pure. Neither are you. You have to together find, and that's why I love what this weekend was about, you get to, be, you get to the place to where you can co-create with somebody with whom you totally disagree. And that's not a compromise. That's not one of these little, you know, buck up and smile it and just come up with something that's a compromise. This is a real thing. I recognize where my biases are, and they make me think a certain way, so I'm going to undermine that. You're going to recognize that, too. You're going to say something is God. I'm going to say something is God. We're going to hear it. We're going to, co- we're going to start talking about it. We're going to start collaborating. And all of a sudden, we're going to come to an agreement about something that's a real agreement. This really is true and real. This is one I really get this. Now, I need what you just brought me. Thank you for bringing that, and I'm never going to be that, so you need to keep bringing that to me. And now all of a sudden you got two people who genuinely are still in disagreement, but are moving in oneness. And I said at the end of that retreat this to everybody who was there. I said, if God is the one who drove the train through everything and has disrupted all that hammer smashing that I kept using, If God is the one who's created all these divisions, wouldn't it be just like God to come to his people and start giving them tools to overcome divisions and not just overcome them, but to get them to a place where they become a new oneness? Wouldn't that be being one with God and one another in a way that the world would know? Wouldn't all of a sudden us getting to a deeper place of oneness and communities typically get the place of valuing honoring meeting the differences between us recognizing where they are and what they contribute to me and so drawing them into my life because they are this and i'm not you see so i just want to say something it went so well and I don't, you know, I don't know if you know the date yet because it could be, we might not be on this date, but we did one weekend in Whistler and now on January 20th, 19th and 20th, or some other date that works for Amy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be doing this at the church because we want everybody to get in on this conversation. Right? We want everybody to learn from planks, to learn from these communication techniques, to learn these things that happen in us that cause division, how to overcome them so that we can come to a new oneness in God, a deeper oneness, the kind that is remarkable. Now, wouldn't it be just like God to go in there and create divisions to show who's approved and the ones who are approved are the ones who are pursuing oneness, and now all of a sudden there's a body of believers that just as Becca Joe said last week, that is functioning together so well that even in their differences, people are finding a oneness that is so remarkable that they are saying, I want to be part of that. I want to know how you do that. I'm attracted to whatever it is that's causing you to be that. I think that this is the witness that God is trying to build. And what I want to say to you is is we can miss this witness. All we have to do is run and hide from politics. All we have to do is run and hide from division. All we have to do is give in to our confrontational, uh, you know, our our conflict-averse natures and just refuse to deal with them. Now, I'm not saying you have to charge in and go blow the whole ship up. I'm saying that we're going in very tenderly, very carefully, very wisely as led by the Holy Spirit. And I think that by the time we get to this and past this, I think we're going to be having discussions in here and you're going to see things about things that you thought one way and you're going to see other people saying godly things from another perspective in ways that are going to make you go, oh, now I understand what you're saying. Well, that's incredible. I want that. And there's going to come a love in this place that is greater than anything we've seen, which is to say, looking at the threads, and I just rearranged them a little bit, but what we're talking about today is grasp the moment. Make that kind of oneness possible in here so that we can become that. Or let me put it another way. Here's Eric Lee's word picture. The master full of praise says, well done, good, and faithful. We've been faithful in handling this small amount, so I want to give you more responsibilities. And here's my... Here's my I think here's what God is asking us all to consider. What will our picture look like when God's done? If we'll grasp the moment, if we'll go after genuine oneness because of differences, not in spite of, but because of. What will we look like? So let's let the Holy Spirit lead us at every moment and find out. Sound good? God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I think you have set a course for us. You have clearly laid out where you want us to go and why and how and the whole nine yards. And we're coming to you right now and we're saying, in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, do not let us come up short of the goal. In Jesus' holy and precious name, do not let us come up short. Do not let us hide. Do not let us run and hide. God, let us wisely, carefully, discerningly, but as led... Let us come together in our differences and in Jesus' holy and most fantastic name, glorious name, taking us to places that we couldn't have imagined, where we are in love with each other at depths and levels that we didn't know existed. Oh, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, please, this congregation, I need you all with one voice to say, if you're in on this, we need to mark this with the Lord. If you're in on this, I just as you're as you're praying right now, I want you to say, "I'm in, I'm in." Say it out loud too. I'm in, I'm in. I want you to take us where only you can get us. I want you to take us to this incredible place in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, as only you can do. We are in one heart, one mind. We don't know how to do it. We're trusting you. Lead us. Let us catch all the threads, the ones we talked about, and there's so many more, to where we become that one strong cord with all of its differences because of you. Reach down in front of you and grab this cup. This is your other way that you can say, I'm in. If you do not know the Lord and you are here, Oh, God, I want you on this journey with us so bad I can taste it. And I'm asking you, when you pick up this cup, do so receiving the Lord Jesus. Asking him to come into your life. Asking him to bring a oneness and a community, a love that you have never known, that we haven't even known, but that God is going to take us to. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift up this cup in which is that bread, recognizing that by, (laughs) by retreating, by running, by hiding, By just being who we are, we break everything. (laughs) So we take our finger and they're recognizing how much we've broken everything. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, you, 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 heal us. You make us whole. By your stripes we are healed and made one. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this bread now. To become one with you communion and one with one another communion take this bread together and now in jesus holy and precious name we lift this cup in which is the most beautiful life (laughs) that we could ever imagine we haven't even begun to imagine how beautiful it is how loving it is like that second love in marriage that is so much richer God, you have a life for, life for us, it's so much more. So in Jesus' name, we look at the life in this blood and we say, I want that life in mine. You've already made it possible. I'm telling you, I'm in. Bring us, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I, I'm sorry, I'm a little overexcited right now, but I really feel like the Lord said something here. And I want you to get a hold of it. I want us to own this sucker because I'm telling you, where God will take us is going to be so glorious. So in Jesus' holy, as we take our offering, Lord, in Jesus' name, we respond with the whole of ourselves. We respond as.